I think I gave half the introduction this morning already, but uh, we're going to be looking at two passages this morning and comparing them, or just kind of going back and forth, so you'll need some markers or a piece of paper, an offering envelope. Just don't put the empty offering envelope in the box. That's, that's rude. But uh, nobody's done that. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And then we're also going to be in Luke chapter number 23. Isaiah chapter number 53. Now Isaiah is in the Old Testament and Luke is in the New Testament. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. And that's literally because it's one of the bigger books of prophecy. You have the minor prophets that are the littler books of prophecy. But uh, if you go in your Bible and you split it in half, you should see the Psalms and then you just go to the right. I learned that trick in Awana. You know, I, I remember uh, helping teach in Awana, and they do those Bible drills. Y'all ever done that when you were a kid? And I was helping, and I just kept getting stomped. You know, I mean, the kids were fast. There was one teacher that was real, real fast. I'm like, man, how does this happen? And she said, well, look at the Bible you're using. I look down, and it's like I'm using my commentary Bible. So in Ephesians, for one chapter, there's like three pages with half the pages of notes. So for me to get through chapter one, I got to flip like three pages just to get to chapter two, you know. My mind's all over. You're going to hear all kinds of useless stuff, but the best thing that you're going to hear is about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ this morning. We talked about the resurrection in Sunday school. Y'all missed out. Um, If you... He is risen. But we're going we're gonna to look in the Old Testament. And, you know, the Bible, we, we stay in the New Testament a lot. But in the Old Testament, you have the prophecies that take place that point to Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he said, you know, to fulfill all that was written in the scriptures. You know, and somebody that doesn't know, they go back and say, well, what was written in the scriptures? And, oh, well, there's Noah. There's, you know, they know all the Bible stories from Sunday school. Well, I know we got the Bible scholars here. Y'all know about Isaiah 53, right? This is the suffering servant. So when they were looking forward to the cross, they had no idea about the cross, but they could see this suffering servant. This, let's, let's just read a little bit here. He says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. 
and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not, openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, let's pray. Amen. Now, this morning, if we look at this passage, we're going to kind of break it down into three points. That's what preachers do, right? I even alliterated. We've got the plain Christ, we've got the punished Christ, and we have the prevailing Christ. This may be brief this morning, sir. We're going to be we're going to be going back and forth. So if you got two markers, stay between Isaiah fifty three and Luke chapter twenty three, and that keeps us from flipping all through the Gospels and me getting excited and off track. So number one, he says, who hath believed our report? And this is in Isaiah 53. We just read it. But who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteem him not. Now, there's a pattern in the Bible. When God does things, he doesn't use the most beautiful people. He doesn't use the most magnificent people. We look back at David's kingdom and we see a magnificent kingdom. Amen. We see David that was able to conquer the enemies. We see David that was able to bring peace. We see Moses who who led millions of Israelites out of Egypt. But it was God that worked through him. When you go back in the Old Testament and you look at Moses, you see a man who's humble. When you go back into Exodus, I think chapter number three, and you see Moses after he's fled Egypt and he's 40 years on the backside of the desert. When he gets to that burning bush and he sees that and he said, I need to turn aside and see what's here because the bush was burned and not consumed. But we see that Moses is keeping his father-in-law's sheep. And we see Moses after God talks to him and says, I'm going to use you to bring the children of Israel. I'm going to bring you to bring my people out of Egypt. I've heard their cry. Moses begins to object. See, Moses was the son of Pharaoh. Moses 
had attended the school. He had learned what Egypt had to offer. And Moses was ready to deliver them at one time. And Moses had, had, he had killed an Egyptian and he, he was ready to defend his people. But when they turned on him and when it was found out what he'd done, he fled to the backside of the desert. Now, I know in, in five years, I can forget a lot of things. And I know in 10 years, well, I know in 10 minutes, I can forget a lot of things. But I know in, in five years, things can change a lot. Amen? Amen? 10 years, things can change a lot. You get to 40 years, Moses is not the man that left Egypt. And so when God says, I'm going to use you to bring my people out of Egypt, Moses begins to object. And he gets all the way to the point. He's, he, he says, you know, I'm, I'm plain of speech. And God says, use your brother Aaron. And he said, well, what would I tell him? And there's no confidence in him whatsoever. This man who was broken, this man who had no confidence in himself, God was able to use. We, we see God taking the plain and making something special out of them. Somebody who's humbled. God set this pattern all through the Old Testament. And this is where we, the plain Christ is what I'm getting at. When we see David, we see a young man. The king before him was King Saul, and we've been studying that. And King Saul was head and shoulders. I always picture the quarterback, right? When he walks out, you know, the people had demanded a king. And when Saul walked out, people said, oh, here's our king. There was no question. There was no doubt. There, wasn't, there was very little argument. Oh, behold your king. Oh, he is. Now, Saul was humble at first or afraid, or, but he hid in the stuff, amen? But God, God put his spirit on him. But when God chose his own king, because that was the king the people wanted. They wanted the one they could look to and say, behold, our king. When God chose a king, Samuel's standing there in front of the sons, and God tells him, no, not this one, not. Surely it's this one, Lord. I know I've used this illustration a bunch of times, but he said, surely it's this one, Lord. And he said, no, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart. If Jesus would have come to us, and, and he would have looked like the Savior that they were expecting, the Jews might have rallied behind him. Amen. The Pharisees might, if he'd have been well dressed like the Pharisees were, I mean, they had the phylacteries, they had everything set up and man, they walked through and they loved to get men's praise. But when Jesus came to this earth, he was born in a manger. Just a little dirt floor. Nothing spectacular. You know, when we see the birth of Jesus, we see the angels singing. Why? Because shepherds told us, not because kings told us. Not because governors told us, but because shepherds came to the field and told about witnessing the angels. God deals with the humble and the plain. When we see John the Baptist come on the scene, he's out in the wilderness. He's wearing the camel's hair coat. They had to itch. He's eating locusts. There's nothing to desire about John the Baptist. Yeah, when he spoke, they said, are, are you Elijah? Are you? He said, no, I'm not. I'm not that one. I'm not that. Are that, that prophet? He said, no, I'm not. There's one coming after me whose shoes latch it. I'm not worthy to buckle. And when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
Now, Isaiah 53 says, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. I remember for an illustration, I don't like to use movies, but I thought about this one. Y'all remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? You remember when, when Indiana Jones is facing this room? And in this room are all these cups, and it's like, find the one that Jesus drank out of in the Last Supper. And there's all these gold cups bedecked in jewels and all of this. And you know, there's the one thing that got right in a movie that I think, when I get back, when I think back to it, when I think back to him looking in that room and there's all these gold cups, is it going to be gold? Is it going to be silver? Are there going to be jewels on it? What's it going to be? And he looks over there and there's one lowly wooden cup. And he said he wouldn't have drank out of all of these. This would have been his cup. And that's what we, we see a savior. We see the glory of God, but he can't, he comes in plainness. 1 Corinthians talks about the way the Bible uses the meek and the foolish and the humble. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 25, he says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He said, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He said, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, Let him glory in the Lord. So when Jesus came, there wasn't anything to appeal to anyone. There was God's word. It was a matter of the heart. It wasn't a matter of following a popular man. John chapter 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. We know that Jesus was there in the beginning when you read John chapter 1. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. The plainness, there was no beauty that we should desire him. He said, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So when we see the plainness of Jesus Christ, you know, we, we have a hard time picturing what Jesus might look like, or really we have an easy time because the picture was drawn a long time ago, right? But when, if we saw him next to us today, would we even know it? So we have the plainness of Jesus Christ. And then in, uh, it says he was despised and rejected of men. The night that Jesus was taken to be crucified, he was taken by the priests and the Pharisees. 
They despised him for who he was. They, they tried to trip him up. They tried to trick him. And finally, they just lied about him when they finally took him. Judas betrays him. And then verse 23, I mean, uh, chapter Luke 23, verse number one, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And verse number four, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in the man. And we'll be getting there. But it says in verse number three of Isaiah, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And then verse number four in Isaiah 53, he says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we see Jesus Christ, we see the punished Christ. We see an innocent man that suffered and that died for no apparent reason. When he's taken to Pilate, Pilate tries three times. Pilate declares three times, I find no fault in him. When we look back in Luke chapter number 23 and verse number four, it says, then Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. He did all he could to get rid of this problem. And verse number five, and they were the more fierce saying, he stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, Jewry beginning from Galilee to this place. And then Pilate gets excited. He said, it says, uh, verse number six, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod himself, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things, and he hoped to have seen a miracle done by him. But getting back to Pilate, over in verse number four, he says, I find no fault in this man. And then when you read ahead over in verse number 14 said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and I have found no fault in this man touching this, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. And in the third place that we see at verse 22, and he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. Herod declared him innocent three times. He didn't die for his sins. He didn't die for anything that he did wrong. He died for our sins. When you get to the cross, verse number uh, verse number 39, he hangs up there with the two thieves. It says in one of the and one of these thieves declared him an innocent man. He said and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
but this man hath done nothing amiss. So we have the thief that declared him innocent. And then look at verse number 47. We have the centurion. Now the centurion in the Gospels, you get three different things about this centurion. And the first time that we see the centurion, he's the one that pierces Jesus' side, declares that surely this is the Son of God, or he sees the light go out. He says he, he declares him to be the Son of God. In verse 47, he declares that he was a righteous man. Verse number 47, now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So Jesus wasn't punished for his own sin. He was punished for ours. Over in 1 Peter 3.18, Peter said, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened. By the Spirit. When you think about your lifetime, when you go back over your lifetime and you remember those sins that you've done, those things that you've committed, Jesus Christ did none of those. The Bible says over, he, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned through all those temptations. Those sins that you've committed, when Jesus was on the cross, he was taking your sin on his own body, the just suffering for the unjust. An innocent man hanging on the cross for our sins. Says verse number five back in Isaiah, he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. With every beat across his back, with every whip and thorn Across his back, with the thorns thrust down on his brow, he was taking payment. He was making the payment for our sins. Over in Isaiah, back in Isaiah 53, we see we see the punished Christ. We see his his suffering, his innocence, his suffering, and we see his grave. Look at verse number nine. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. And I just want to show you this. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. We know that he hung on the cross with the two thieves. And we also know, look down at uh, verse number 50 in Luke chapter 23 said, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man was laid before. Matthew 27, you don't have to go there, but in Matthew 27, 57, we see that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He was a wealthy man who had given his grave. He borrowed it. That concept of a borrowed tomb. He, he loaned his grave to Jesus Christ. Amen. Where never a man had laid before. 
said, when the evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, hewn out in the rock and made a, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. So it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Verse number 10. This is, this is turning into a quick sermon. But in verse number 10, we see the prevailing Christ. And this is a part that I like. I, I was getting excited this morning. We were in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. There were just a few of us. We, we Waited a little while or whatnot, but then I said, well, this is where we were going to be. And when I look, read 1 Corinthians 15, I see the importance of the resurrection. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins was important. But even more important is the fact that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave. The prevailing Christ. Look at verse number 10 in Isaiah 53. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You know what the picture of this is? All of this sin in your life. These things that you've done, whether it's, I, I don't care what it is the Ten Commandments, whatever. I don't hammer on sin because I think God speaks to you, right? He brings it up to you. I know when I was an 11-year-old and someone was telling me about Jesus Christ and somebody was telling me about hell, and you know the story, sitting in that football stadium down there in Texas City, there was a revival meeting. They don't do that anymore. But I'm sitting up there and I can remember the man preaching about hell and I remember I was going there. And even as an 11-year-old, I'm thinking of all the sin in my life, the things that I'd done wrong, the times that I'd lied, the times that I'd done things against God. All of that sin, all of that blackness. You can't stand before God like that. Who was it? Cameron said it's like walking into a white house with dirty shoes. God's not going to let it happen. But when Jesus died on the cross and he took all of our sin on him, we're justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. God looks down at you, and that blood of Jesus Christ is all that he can see. God looks down at you, and here you are behind Christ. That's how we're able to go to heaven, not because of anything that we did, but because of everything that he did. You know, and that takes us back to that first part, just because my mind's skipping around. The reason God uses the humble, the reason God doesn't use like the, the powerful or the beautiful. I mean, God can still use them. But in the, in the Bible, we just see over time and time again, if there was a battle, he would reduce their numbers. Remember Gideon? Got him all the way down to 300. He had an army of 10,000. And by the time God laid out the requirement, he's down to 300. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God wanted 
everyone to know that he was the one doing it. So if you're weak, if you feel like you can't do it, if you hit that spot and you say, Lord, I, I'm just not the one. You're calling me to do this, but I'm not able. You're kind of like Moses. You're, you're saying, Lord, I'm not the one. I'm not able to do this. And he says, just stand behind me. Don't stand in front of me. Stand behind me. We get into heaven. All he's going to see is the blood of Jesus Christ. He prevailed. Yet it pleased the Lord to, bleep, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And you talk, that's an understatement to me. He shall justify many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever will, down through the centuries, anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ, God has welcomed him in. He said, therefore I will divide him a portion of the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for those transgressors. You remember when he was on the cross? You remember when they had beat him? Verse 33 of Luke chapter 23, it says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You ever have somebody do you wrong? How hard is it to say that? What about for Jesus Christ, who had been slapped, he'd been beaten, they lied, they refused to let him go. Pilate was willing to give them, give him over to them, releasing. He said, I find no fault in this man. And he had an option. He said, I tell you what, you can choose Barabbas or you can choose Jesus. And they say, give us Barabbas, the man who was guilty, the man who was convicted. Give us Barabbas, the man who should have died on the cross, but Jesus took his place. We are Barabbas, and Jesus has taken our place. If you'll stand.